0: when, like, five security guys tackled me, and then mm. they dragged me off to... Again, this is in Turkey, so, you know, it goes there. Yeah. <laughs> and then yada, 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 flew back yesterday. <laughs> but, you know, don't worry. Everything's fine. You know what? They're an ally, so, you know, the extradition thing is just, like, easy breezy. It's like a cakewalk. So Absolutely. I don't think you really need to worry. Yeah. Also, what's, like, the statute limitations on these kind of things? Like, two weeks? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel like if you... If you were, as you did in my case, like had the money for over twenty-four hours, you should be allowed to keep it. I mean, it's only fair. Yeah, (laughs) don't we live in a democracy? (laughs) Is that how it works? Well, no, we were in Turkey at the time, which is oh, okay, right, yeah, right, right. which is under the benevolent guidance of President (laughs) Erdogan, but (laughs) it's a quote-unquote democracy. Yeah, we listen to the people. Um, actually, it's a constitutional republic. <laughs> <laughs> we just do this voting thing just for fun. <laughs> it's just fun to go out on on a Tuesday, take time off work, stand in line nice for hours. To on be it. included, it feels yes. nice to be included. It is fun, though. I mean, it, you're cloaked in immense power when you're in line at a voting bo- when you're in a voting booth. <laughs> really, really, that's how I, I feel, do- anyway. I d- I do the mail-in ballot because you know, the less people I have to interact with, the better. But you're missing out. No, Greg, you didn't I'm get a to see. You didn't get to see the, the wonderful old women who volunteered <laughs> their time to help. And when I said my name and gave my address, they you know pinched through <laughs> pinched expressions, flipped through every pages page in their book <laughs> <laughs> until they finally found my name. And then I signed it upside down. And then <laughs> they didn't check for your ID. You nope. could have committed voter fraud. I, I oh, John, I did I. I voted eight times for Gavin Newsom. <laughs> wow. See, that's the nice thing about living in a state so blue. It's like no one accuses anybody of voter fraud. It's only no. when it's close that yeah. it's like, oh, excuse me. Uh, I, oh, I'm sorry. The votes already counted. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do we really need to include those absentee people? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> what, what does provisional even mean? <laughs> Aren't mailing ballots really just suggestions? Mm-hmm. Oh, anyway, I'm, yeah, I'm, this I'm is funny politics. when nobody will remember this in two weeks. No, I'm over <laughs> politics. I'm over politics. I'm, I'm mm. over all of it. I'm just, ugh, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry, John. It's over. The election happened, and now we don't have to worry about it for another two years. No, now now it's time for the, the push for presidency. Now everyone's like, better O'Rourke? Is he going to run? Probably. Uh, Everybody's going to run. <laughs> You're kidding me. Even I bet Hillary's going to run again. <laughs> <laughs> they say there are no second acts <laughs> in. She's got the money for it. That's the sad thing. I ain't no family fe- feeling exactly. <laughs> so again, everybody, welcome to our political podcast. That was that was seething poli- that was searing political commentary right there, wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> no, this is a movie podcast about revisiting classic films that uh, mm-hmm. are generally generally viewed as required viewing. Exactly. And so you and I experience a film for the first time, and we decide whether it's uh, worthy of that classic status. Exactly, and you this week you had actually seen it already, haven't you? Because yes. I hadn't. Okay, this is actually yeah, one most of, my... of the time because Greg went to film school; he's seen <laughs> a lot of these, but sadly I have not. So it's really more of an aspiring snob, and that's Jonathan Mantel. So yeah, <laughs> which is you. I'm Greg, obviously. If you can't yes. tell, if you can't distinguish our voices, we apologize. <laughs> No, no, no! They should. They should have to. Okay, just because we're twins. does not we? That, like, why don't we make are limited more... to visual mediums. Okay, that's true. Why don't we make it more fun? And I do it in a limey accent. I. <laughs> oh, ooh, can I do Scottish? Arr! That's a. That's, <laughs> that's, a, a, that's, a that's a pirate. That's brilliant. That's <laughs> brilliant, <laughs> mate. I give me some haggis and the movie we watched this week. <laughs> I, because in anticipation of I, why did I do a pirate? See, we can't even we can't even commit to the bit. Awful, terrible. We're bad. We're terrible. Yeah, but we had a great double feature. Um, we've we've seen uh, with the release of the other side of the wind on Netflix. And they finally mm-hmm. completed it after forty plus years. We watched another Orson Welles directed classic, Touch of Evil.
1: Uh, you folks are American citizens. I am, yes. Where were you born,
0: Miss Mrs... What? Philadelphia.
1: The name is Vargas. Hey, Jim. You see who's here? Sure, Mr. Vargas. Out on the trail of another dope ring? Out on the trail of a chocolate soda for my wife. Your wife?
0: Yeah, your bride, officer. Oh, hey, can I get through? There's a lot of talk up here about how you crack that Grandy business. Yeah, I hear you caught
1: the big boss.
0: No, only one of them. The Grandys are a big family. Good night. Uh,
1: no purchases, Mr. Lineker. Mike, right. hey, I've got this... You're American citizen, Miss.
0: No, I got this ticking noise. Yeah, okay. No, really, this Good ticking night. noise in my head. Mike,
1: do you realize this is the very first time we've been together in my country? Do you realize I haven't
0: kissed you in over an hour? <laughs> Now, I wanted to do Chimes of Midnight, but no, Greg was like, no one's heard of that movie. <laughs> I, I hadn't heard of Chimes of Midnight. <laughs> well, the other reason why I kind of wanted to do that one is because that one feels like a more auteur-driven project. This is kind of like, oh, this is pure Orson Welles for hire. But, of course, even when you hire Orson Welles, you know, be prepared for some trouble. But also, some high art. Exactly. This is There's way more soap opera drama going on here versus Chimes of Midnight. Yeah. So. <laughs> Maybe there is. Again, you and we haven't read up on it. But I, we, I've read a lot. I've poured a lot into Touch of Evil. This is based on a novel by Whit Masterson called Badge of Evil. Um, <laughs> instead, they ch- it's called it Touch of Evil, which, again, still sounds like a terrible uh, B-horror movie. Um, <laughs> instead, it became uh, like an A-plus crime story film noir. Classic film noir. Yes. And this is also, I think, at a time when it was kind of falling out of fashion. Definitely. I mean, the we're talking about at least a decade of American prosperity following mm-hmm. World War II. So th- things are things are going well, and I, I I didn't think there was an appetite for film noir much anymore. Um, this is now the era of the roadshow musical. You know, uh, more films. I, I think a majority of films at this point are now shot in color versus black and white, which is seen as antiquated at this time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it it was falling out of favor in addition to Mr. Wells kind of falling out of favor. Um this is when the kind of critical consensus was coming around as uh Citizen Kane becoming a masterpiece. However, um it didn't quite hit Mr. Wells uh who at this point was uh, I th- I believe had traveled to Europe, had been in many tumultuous relationships and was running out of money. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> So he came in, is like, all right, I'll 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 play your little bit part. Oh, you yes. need a director, too? Oh, all right. All right. <laughs> you must twist my arm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, we need Maurice LaMarche to do that. Let's write a script for Ma- Maurice LaMarche <laughs> while he's eating while he's eating coffee cake. Or <laughs> no, he's just eating a big log of cheese, just like a yeah. wheel of cheese, like a pizza. Mm-hmm. Give me a nice Chablis and yes. two whores. <laughs> No, we didn't get horrors here, John. We've got to, a top-flight cast. Yes, we've got Charlton Heston playing a Mexican named Detective Vargas. <laughs> the Argus. most convincing Mexican on screen portrayed on screen. All right, all right, all right. Let's let's get out of this. Yes, this casting choice would never happen today. Mm. But if we look at the film market in the 1950s, your your movie literally sold, lived and died on its star power mm-hmm. financially, I should say. So the fact that they could get and Obviously, there weren't a lot of Mexican stars at this time because there weren't any Mexicans employed um, <laughs> <laughs> as movie actors at this at this point in history. So, again, we can do, we can look back and revision a size like, okay, not exactly the most tasteful casting choice they could have done. This mm-hmm. is an opportunity to cast somebody. Where this movie remade today, we obviously have a plethora of actors we could choose from. I'm thinking Michael Pena, Gail Garcia, Bernal, tons of them. Mm, really? That actually have, you want to yes. see Michael Pena take on a serious role? Yes. I don't think so. He's Come great. On. He's great. Oh, in everything really? he does. Yes. Was he really good in Extinction? He no, was the best. He was the best part never... of Crash. He's the only <laughs> thing that made that movie watchable. Pretty much. I don't even remember him in Crash. Mostly because I try to excise every moment of Crash <laughs> out of my memory. Okay. This is, this isn't a movie about uh, unjust unjustifiable best picture winners. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we have uh, Charlton Heston playing. Uh, Uh, Michael Vargas and then his wife, played by Janet Lee, the great Janet Lee. Yes. uh, Playing, uh, I I liked her character a lot. I thought she was really feisty for uh, an era where it's like women were expected to kind of like be meek and quiet. And even though her defining characteristics is is, I'm married to this man, (laughs) she still kind of holds her own. Because she kind of gets uh, wrapped up in this embaragogo or whatever that word is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yes, she's married to... They just eloped to Mexico. Or not mm-hmm. even eloped. He's He still lives in Mexico. He's a detective in Mexico City. Yeah. Um, but they're walking across the border from Tijuana, through the Tijuana port of entry, and this is what really the movie's known for. Um, We've commented that the closing of a movie really elevates its status. In this case, it's the opposite. The opening is what really gets critics (laughs) hard for A Touch of Evil. Yes, it's a three-minute long uh, single-take shot Mm -hmm. where we uh, see the bomb getting planted on the car. Yep. And uh we track these characters and again it's very important that we see the bomb first because we're now we're just anticipating it going off. We're just mm-hmm. waiting for it and you know we see the shadows cast along the walls yep. as everything's moving through and everything's calm and casual but you know that bomb's going to blow up eventually. Yep. The and, crane, and it, there there's a crane too involved and oh, so Oh, yeah. And it yeah. blows up in the worst cut imaginable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's not a, not maybe not a perfect cut. I mean what the, what the other thing, too, is the scene's a little unfocused, because it's kind of on the car, but then we transition to Mike Vargas and his wife, mm-hmm. um, played by Janet Lee, and they're kind of at the border, and, and this is the other kind of interesting, too, when I wanted your perspective on this, I think it being directed by Orson Welles, it does take a lot of cues from theater, mm-hmm. and so there's kind of a, a little rat-a-tat dialogue, that's a lot of, that's really a lot of overlapping as well, Yeah, and so we see it in this first scene, like the He's he's exchanging pleasantries with the with the border guard, and that's when the car comes in, and the and the poor uh, mistress in the car is like, I hear this ticking noise in my head, and, <laughs> and the husband's like, Why are we moving? Like, <laughs> I mean, that does kind of sound very theatery because again, yeah. like, there's not you when you're doing theater, you can't have too many actions, so it's like I have to enunciate what's going on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it feels like in nearly every Orson Welles movie, like five characters are talking at one time, and oh, okay. it, it definitely happens in this opening scene. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I kind of appreciate that. It felt a little more naturalistic to me than kind of. It's kind of surprising you think it was kind of felt artificial. I thought well, it kind well, of. Well, had... I think it. Yeah. Well, it's also theatrical. Also in the way it's shot. We should also say you're talking about harsh, harsh shadows. Like you see that big mm-hmm. shadow on the wall. The mm-hmm. the crane, the dolly up. Like every shot is high or low angle. Nothing shot at eye level. Exactly. So so the, also the the mise en scène is also very theatrical in my mm-hmm. mind. Well, also depth of field plays a big Mm. factor because Orson Welles you know again like instead of John what is Depth of Field? (laughs) Basically how far uh, the camera can see depending on how wide the aperture is and so the main thing that made Citizen Kane so revolutionary is most films were shot like you know stage productions both characters on even uh even planes. What he did in Citizen Kane and a lot in this movie as well is basically sets a character way back and then one character in the foreground and they're having a conversation, but it feels very dynamic and exciting. Yeah. <laughs> and again you get those cast those long cast shadows and those mm-hmm. darks light, and lights, those that that chiaroscuro that value (laughs) (laughs) yes but the scene terminates so with charlton heston in his way like it's been how long since i've kissed you (laughs) and then (laughs) yes strange cut of this uh, this next shot is completely cloaked in shadow you can't even see that it's a car like and it's kind Mm -hmm. of flops down on the ground engulfed in flames (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then following that it's it's strange how we've had this like beautiful gliding shot and i believe the next shot is handheld Mm -hmm. and seems like kind of like a has a like almost feels like somebody like little like feels like a little bit amateurish <laughs> mm. the way the way that it kind of follows him down the street when obviously Mike Vargas our our hero like rushes to danger <laughs> so <laughs> well, I mean it, you could you could also make the argument that it's like oh the ca- camera's very steady in this kind of cool collective shot but then once the excitement happens then we go handheld like that's, that's probably why he did it and also it's like we're rushing to the scene so let's recreate that with the camera but the harsh edit is probably due to the fact that the studio did have disagreements with Orson Welles all, all through production, <laughs> mm-hmm. and they pretty much chopped the movie to pieces, and Orson Welles disavowed it. Now, the mm-hmm. version we watched was a 1998 restoration from the Cartierian Collection, mm-hmm. and I believe it's what's on th- on Netflix right now at this moment, but mm-hmm. I'm sure it, basically yeah, you can't find the that old 95-minute version. Which, thank goodness. (laughs) I was going to say, from here, we move on to... We get into the investigation of who set off this car bomb. Mm -hmm. And that's when we get introduced to one of, I think, cinema's greatest villains. (laughs) (laughs) Orson Welles, known for playing a number of great villains. None quite like the inimitable (laughs) Hank Quinlan. Although I do think it's a little unfair that he directed this movie... And like all his directorial movies where he's the star, he's like, I'm going to give myself the most interesting character. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he plays a police captain, Hank Quind- uh, Quinlan. Yeah. And Well, uh, I will say, I will push back. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it, it's not exactly the most likable character. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. Yeah. Um, I think the problem with it though is although it is a very good performance Yeah. What I like about Orson Welles is his ability as an actor is the fact that he does have a bit of a range and he can play very charming when he wants to. Like think about the third man, like Harry, yeah. you know. Harry's a scoundrel but he he puts a, you know, a fine smile to it, a nice little grin and he's is you know, it's very compelling, it's very magnetic. Here it's like all right. Corrupt cop. Let's just post that on the billboard and then play that to the not to the rafters. He is a very repellent guy. Mm-hmm. He like literally walks in on his crane and he's got a cigar. And he's like, "All right, what's going on here?" Uh, yeah. Like he can't even muster up the energy to even care, even the slightest. Yeah, he's dismissive of the case immediately, but. I, I actually like that, because when, when you do think of Orson Welles, you immediately think of what a charming fella he was. <laughs> okay. And so I do like that he's playing against type here, and playing completely, um, like, almost completely unlikable. Like, he, A, you can't even understand him.
1: Mm-hmm. And then, half the
0: time he has a cigar in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then B, the fact that he is so likable from, like, minute one. And so maybe that maybe that's probably diminishes the drama a little bit like you don't like this guy immediately maybe if cuz we knew th- we knew some change cuz later in the story it is revealed the levels of his corruption <laughs> which again it didn't even need to hold back that far because no. it's like well obviously this guy is corrupt yeah <laughs> it's no surprise so mm-hmm. maybe if we started his character you know being a little bit charming as Orson, Orson Welles was mhm maybe then that would raise kind of the dramatic stakes or make it a little bit more interesting, that contrast with earlier. But instead, like, no, he's just playing it completely, (laughs) completely despicably, which I I admire.
1: He was accosted in the street a little while ago and led across to some dive on your side of the border. Hmm. Vargas family seems to be getting into quite a lot of trouble tonight. (laughs) Can you describe this, man? Well, the the first one seems to have been young, good-looking, and... uh... Not exactly. Not exactly. You say she was taking this dye by force. Not by force. No. Whoa. One of the grandees was there waiting. Short, fat, with a mustache. description. I haven't run into him. What? They call him Uncle Joe, Grant. That's right. It. Go on. We're... What do you mean? Go on. I've told you what happened. Aren't you going to do something about it? Well, make it a charge. you can ask a complaint, or isn't that police procedure in Mexico? Procedure? <laughs> say your wife was attacked. I did not say she, she was just attacked. say she was molested. Not physically molested, no. Was obscene language.
0: I don't you. think so. How uh-huh. do you explain the fact that your, your wife allowed herself to be picked up by
1: this good-looking... She was uh, not picked
0: up. Now, Hank, I think uh-huh. we're getting off on the wrong tack here. Then
1: this good-looking young man was a friend of her. Ob- Obviously not. You wouldn't call that getting picked up from <laughs> the no, no, street. No, no, no. <laughs> we, we mustn't forget, must we,
0: that Mr. Vargas is not on the witness stand. Huh? Uh, <laughs> Hank's a born lawyer, you know. I'm a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. All a lawyer cares about is the law. Although they still take the time out to include a little subplot. It's not even really a subplot. It's just added texture. He has mm-hmm. this relationship with, like, this fortune teller. And we get yeah, like, which... a handful of scenes with just them two. And I think it's, like, meant to fill out his backstory a little bit. It is. I. You know what it reminded me of? Uh, remember there's a that... B-plot in, like, High Noon
1: mm-hmm. about
0: the woman who's owning... It felt like, okay, we needed a second female character in here. No, okay. <laughs> and her purpose was maybe to humanize Quinlan a little bit, but also get a second woman in the cast. Okay, fair it enough. It was played by Joshua Zsa Gabor, I believe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or is it Marlene Dietrich? I can't remember. <laughs> I, I think it's Marlene Dietrich, because I think Zsa okay. Gabor is only in, like, two scenes. So mm. Yeah, so Quinlan is an asshole. <laughs> <I> do, yeah. <laughs> Not a very savory character, and th- what follows is, well, we should probably speak to what I like following this, is um, we still follow Janet Lee's character, mm-hmm. and this is when she gets accosted by, I believe, uh, Senior Grande is his name.
1: <laughs> you know, a yeah, literal
0: the... Mr. Big, yeah. <laughs> well, that's kind of the thing I don't like about the movie, is the fact that, again, it kind of plays with these broad characters and the fact is, we don't really get a sense of what This gang is doing. It's just like, oh, they're Mexicans. They're on the border. Clearly, they're up to unsavory things. And when we introduce this character, you know, it's like, oh, he's the boss because he's the fattest one. He's the one who (laughs) commands respect. (laughs) Well, his name's Grande. I mean,. Yeah, but this like it's so funny we take that time out to kind of like characterize Quinlan but then we have this guy who's basically just a cartoon character. Yeah, that's true. He's like, "I you got to get out of my business." <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, it's it's a great opportunity also for Janet Lee's character to push back against that, like I guess that's true. How, typ- how typical would it be for her to be like a damsel in distress, like oh no, and just be the mm-hmm. the poor the poor woman who you know has to be saved? Like now, granted, later she does become that, um, because, <laughs> yeah, but no, she doesn't. Yeah, not until halfway through the movie. Yeah, you know, she still has a lot of agency and she's she's a firecracker. She's still like fighting back against everyone who wants to like kind of impose their will on her. And
1: mm-hmm. again,
0: like they the only reason they want to impose their will on her is because Vargas. Uh, I know his name very well because they repeated about ten thousand times. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, know Vargas' character, John. Yeah, yeah. Vargas knows that you know there's there's unsavory dealings going on here, and he wants to investigate further. Even though it's very clear that you have the gang threatening his wife, but then you also have Quinlan who's not telling him everything. Yeah, I I think that's the other maybe demerit to the movie in that we know immediately that Quinlan is a pretty unsavory guy right from mm-hmm. minute one. I think the other problem is is that Vargas is a pretty determined, you know, grizzled detective, effective yeah. detective. Immediately, mm-hmm. um, I that's why I, I would have liked the casting of like say it, it were this movie made today like Michael Peña, Gail Garcia Bernal, they're kind of um let's say softer, more gentle, mm. quieter actors and then like when when it does come to facing this this massive corrupt cop in Quinlan, you know, it it could be seen as more of an act of bravery, but here it's like obviously like from from minute 1, Vargas knows there's something wrong with this guy and he's challenging him all the time. Exactly. yeah. And yeah. again, it's Charlton Heston, so you know, he's got that bravado to him, yeah. you know. <laughs> Yeah, so it doesn't exactly raise the dramatic stakes, or maybe play play in ways that you you wouldn't expect. <laughs> well, no, and I think that's why the life subplot is so much more enriching, is because like mm-hmm. there's some actual interesting conflict going on there, where it's like, <laughs> we spend almost no time with Vargas. It's like <laughs> when we do see him, you know, they're investigating, he's like, hey, what's this about? And they're like, ah, don't worry about it. And he's like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: It's That's pretty true. much
0: sums up all his scenes until the second half, where you know they actually kidnap uh, Janet Lee's character. So I I want to speak to that because this is where I think I feel like the movie stalls in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I do like it, it stalls in the middle first in finding out who made the bomb,
1: because
0: mm-hmm. I believe it's Mr. Grande's son. Or yeah, it's 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 somehow related to Mr. Grande. Yeah, uh, and I think it is his like idiot son who does it. Yeah, and we're spent what it, it feels like far too long. If we're, we're at the studio head, I would <laughs> – or I will side with the studio that the scene takes way too long. They go into his apartment. Um, in the bathroom, there's an empty shoebox, and the camera, you know, very very <laughs> tight close in on what's an empty shoebox. Oh, oh, I hit the shoebox, and I noticed that it's empty, so therefore right. that's not going to be important later. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, it's important. <laughs> it could be what feels like 20 minutes later. We haven't, we haven't moved locations or anything, but mm-hmm. – that's when uh, Quinlan and his coterie of like I think six other detectives or something. It's, ridiculous. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, how many how many other detectives <laughs> fawn over him, but. Hmm. I also kind of appreciate that because there is one whose relationship eventually kind of gets strained with him, but we'll, we'll yes. get to that. But, uh, you know, they go into the bathroom and Vargas has stayed outside, but when they come back, aha! Evidence of the stolen dynamite in this shoebox that was empty but is no, mm-hmm. now no longer. <laughs> yep, and this causes Quinlan... Uh, oh, sorry, not Quinlan. Vargas to like, after this all plays out, he goes to the local library, or, you know, where all the police records are, yeah. <laughs> and notices that this is a suspicious pattern with all of Quinlan's cases. It's like, oh, the evidence just happened to turn up perfectly. Every mm-hmm. time. Yeah. <laughs> See, because he's smart, John. He knows. Oh, he okay. could intuit that there's something off about this Quinlan guy. Ah, yes. Police intuition. The best The best thing that's always worked out. It's obviously yeah. no sign of corruption. I mean, because, come on, John, he's Orson Wells, a cosmopolitan dude. <laughs> clearly, with, no that, with, with that skin, like, yeah, cosmopolitan, that's how I would describe him. <laughs> there's no way he would do anything unsavory like that. So we do, have to, we do have to mention this about Quinlan, yeah. which is important. Like, looking at him, you're like, oh, wow, Orson Welles really let himself go. And yes, yes he would eventually. But for this movie, it's actually all prosthetics. Yeah. yeah. Not yet. Or at he, least he, the majority of it is. Yeah, he seems girthy. However, it's kind of... C- because every character's... Well, uh, Charlton Heston's character is part of the contrast between them. He's in a sharp suit. Mm-hmm. Whereas Quinlan, is, like tie is half undone. He's in his big billowing <laughs> coats. <laughs> yep. He walks around with a cane, so yeah, he's debilitated. Whereas, you know, Charlton Heston is strong, upright. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of contrast there, but it doesn't exactly raise the dramatic stakes. Like we know that <laughs> it, that Quinlan is a piece of crap, and this is just the first confirmation that uh, we know which way the story is going from here. Mm-hmm. Where we maybe don't see where the story is going is in Susie Var- Miss Susie Vargas's storyline, because <laughs> mm-hmm. she winds up in a motel in California. But unfortunately, unfortunately at least she can never end up at the right motel. No, and <laughs> unfortunately, no. And she suffers a fate I feel is worse than at the hands of Norm Bates. Like she's tortured <laughs> by these poor other guests. Like it's it's awful. Yeah. So to to put the squeeze on her to show that yeah. she can't really escape, they kind of lead her into the wrong motel that she wasn't planning on staying at. Uh, we meet the night manager, uh, played by like Dennis Weaver, and what is yeah. going on with that character? I I don't know. <laughs> Well, again, we need a contrast. We need a different kind of character. We have so many grizzled, you know, cynical detectives. Mm-hmm. Let's stick on a a, a nerd. You know, <laughs> a, our our Targo of the movie. You know, <laughs> a bumbling, fumbling nerd who, who yes. can't handle like topics of sex. But he's still like Leary, just like Norman Bates. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I I don't know. He kind of completely took me out of the movie because his his performance is so performative. That's like, true. It's I never a very... for a second bought it.
1: No. There, there is nobody here. You must be mistaken, sir. My wife has been registered here since this morning. My name is Vargas. Vargas? Would you look, please, in the register? The register? Well. That might be cabin six, possibly. Maybe seven. Yes. Here. May I? There's n- nobody been registered all week. No, no. It's 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 off the season. It, Nobody hardly ever comes around at all. I, I'm, I'm the nightmare.
0: That's true. It's a very broad movie. Mm-hmm. Um, all the performances are kind of playing to the cheap seats. However, I think with the, the mise en scene and the way everything's framed, and the mm-hmm. fact that I think this movie only takes place over, like, two days, mm-hmm. and it was kind of, like, such a visual relief and surprise when it does become daytime because the, yeah. the first quarter of the movie is so cloaked in shadow and so mysterious at that point that... Um, it's it it is kind of interesting to see it take place in the sunlight, sort of, <laughs> instead of in these tight, claustrophobic rooms. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so she ends up at this motel, and mm-hmm. um, the gang kind of follows her there, and to kind of like put the squeeze on her, to torture her. You know, she's been up all night. She just wants to get some sleep, and they just play yeah. loud music. You know, basically Mm -hmm. 24 hours a day in the room next door to her. So she, you know, eventually, you know, she's on no sleep. She's starting to lose her mind. And that's when they just, like, say, screw it. All right, let's just kidnap her. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because she's not breaking fast enough. No, I mean, uh, (laughs) this is unfortunate. And maybe an unfortunate twist. Well, not unfortunate, but... uh... Just the fact that it is so expected, like mm-hmm. as if as if Vargas wasn't personally invested in the case at that point, <laughs> mm-hmm. being a committed cop that he is. Instead, we have to you know threaten his home life, <laughs> in maybe the conventional ways. I don't know. It, maybe maybe it's in sharp contrast to other film noirs where I think they're kind of like lone. The detectives are lone wolves. Yeah, and maybe like again don't have a personal life that to really get invested in. I mean, and most of the time, in a lot of these movies, like, the wife is just there to kind of be, like, not the nag, but kind of the counterpoint. He'll, yeah. like, bring the case home with him and be like, oh, I don't know what to do. She's like, "Hun, you you're taking work home with you. How dare? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just relax. Take a load off. You know, it's, like, mm-hmm. very passive. Here she's an actual interactive part of the story. And then also they're separated the whole time. That's you true. know, we they both get these internal and external struggles that they're both dealing with at the same time. So, I, th- you know, I think that makes the movie a lot more enriching, the fact that we do have a interesting female character to follow as well, because Lord knows Vargas is not that interesting, and his plot line is actually not that interesting either. hmm Now, this is where it gets a little complicated. <laughs> because this uh, kidnapping is cor- uh, orchestrated by uh, Mr. Grandi.
1: hmm
0: However, we see that Quinlan double-crosses him. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: Basically, you know, uh, murders him, but then he leaves his cane. Again, sloppy. I, I can't believe he's been sloppy. He's been so successful at framing guys at this to this rate. <laughs> the other thing to kind of uh, – the way to kind of discredit Mike Vargas mm-hmm. is that, you know, he takes the kidnapped uh, Susan – Mm-hmm. Uh, puts her in a hotel room, knocks her out with, like, ether, and then puts, like, you know, drug paraphernalia around, like, implying that, yeah. you know, she, oh, she was on a bender. I'm like, how can we really trust these Vargases? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <but> through osmosis. <laughs> mm-hmm. The whole Var- well, Vargas name is ruined. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it is kind of making a fine point to it. It's like, he doesn't have to work too hard to frame Vargas, because it's like, oh, he's Mexican. Clearly, he's, you know, on, on the inside. He's clearly doing something skeevy. Because, yeah. again, that's the perception of Mexican people, sadly, at this time. So I do kind of appreciate maybe that was kind of a larger, broader point they were making. It's like, hey, the hero of our story is actually the Mexican, and the white guy is the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe it's trying to like turn that on its head a little bit. I don't know if that was the intention, but no, I think you're right. One thing that is unspoken of, at least mm-hmm. in my second viewing, I'm, I'm amazed they didn't really bring it up. The fact that this is an interracial marriage, which wasn't exactly common. Oh, that's also true. Yeah. Back in the day, I, I think this was literally the the year of like Loving versus the State of Virginia. Um, <laughs> Was just depicted in that great um, Jeff Nichols movie, but anyway, uh, Midnight Special. Yeah, yeah, that one. That's the one. Yeah, no, Take Shelter. It was Take oh. Shelter. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they don't bring it up very often.
1: Yeah, that's and a good I mean, point.
0: I mean, obviously, this this group, this cabal of uh, kind of shady detectives, does like. Do look sideways at, at mr vargas he's not he's not one of the group mm-hmm. however like they don't bring up exactly like any connections to mexico city they don't bring up the fact that he, he married a white woman i the racial component doesn't really come into it maybe that's the fact that they were aware that <laughs> they were casting charlton heston <laughs> as someone of another race and you know mm-hmm. they're already like touching that third rail and didn't want to bring it up any make it any worse than they did yeah <laughs> i guess i mean it wasn't a third rail back then But, I mean, looking back, on obviously now everyone is embarrassed for it. Even Charlton Heston said, like, it's probably one of my worst performances I've turned in. (laughs) Well, yeah, because I'm I'm looking at, actually, I'm doing this in front of a computer, looking at screenshots now, the amount of shoe polish on his face. (laughs) And he's got that bad, like, pencil mustache, too. It's like, how do we communicate to the audience immediately? He's Mexican. (laughs) Uh, Strangely enough, uh, this was popularized by, not popularized, because not a lot of people have seen the movie Ed Wood. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But in that movie, one of the worst, they uh, create a fictional encounter with one of the worst directors of all time, Ed Wood, meets Mm -hmm. one of the greatest directors of all time, Orson Welles. Mm -hmm. And it's around the area, it's around the time that this movie was shot. So uh, Orson Welles has a line of dialogue, played by uh, Vincent D'Onofrio in that movie. He says, like, you know, the studio wants me to cast Charlton Heston as a Mexican. (laughs) when really Orson Welles was the proponent of casting <laughs> Charlton Heston as Mike Vargas so revisionist history yes <laughs> i mean look, anyway. Orson Welles was not above reproach okay he made a lot of no. bad decisions yeah, which we'll no. talk about in the next movie <laughs> <laughs> but we're not there yet John no no no, no, no. we have to get to, we have to get to the final confrontation yes Vargas has said i've had enough and this time it's personal <laughs> and he recruits one of his of one of uh, Quinlan's pals Mm-hmm. To finally kind of turn on him, He makes and, him wear a wire and maybe like finally get him to confess to setting up all yeah. these, to basically framing all these people and planning evidence. Mm-hmm. And this and this is a nice little layer of texture as well. It's like the sergeant that he's kind of roped into this conspiracy against Quinlan. You mm-hmm. know, has some ambivalent feelings about it. It's like you know, Quinlan took a bullet for me and blah blah blah. Yeah. But it's obviously he's been Quinlan's been taking advantage of this relationship ever since. So <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> well and. What I do like when he's trying to coax a confession out of Quinlan, mm-hmm. it's always in kind of ambiguous terms, and one of my favorites is, like, well, justice was always served. Like, you know, Oh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like a, a do the ends, justify the means sort of. Oh, another <laughs> classic cop trope, uh, cop trope. Like, oh, my intuition yeah. tells me. Oh, yeah. well, you know, we're putting bad guys behind bars. Who cares mm-hmm. if it's not exactly true? Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but anyway, I do like this. If we finally get back to that, those... These great uh film noir shots mm-hmm. the, like you know the sun is set we've got harsh shadows on this bridge it 's kind of a dilapidated bridge. Mm-hmm. I know he originally wanted to shoot in Tijuana, but couldn't, but this wherever he did shoot was a great stand in mm-hmm. or at least a maybe not a great stand in, but a great setting for this final confrontation on the bridge. Um, he shoots his partner mm-hmm. um with a wire, but also like gets shot himself and winds up um in this kind of uh, shallow river. <laughs> Just in time for the fortune lady to stop by again. Just, like, one more time to say, give him, like, a wistful send-off. Like, night, sweet yeah. prince. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> Although yeah. Although he, does, he doesn't exactly get a noble burial. They kind of just leave him in the water, and it's <laughs> like, hey, i let the fishes get him. As they should. He was a piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was a piece of shit human, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I do appreciate, uh, again, like, High Noon, kind of, mm-hmm. you bring all the characters back together. Even the one intended to humanize him a little bit. Yeah, I, I like, yeah, the ending's really... Uh, good and kind of like bittersweet, even though they do bring Janet and in like one more time. It's like, oh, Mike, can you believe it's <laughs> over? <Yeah. laughs> I was, I was drugged up on ether and heroin 15 minutes ago, but, <laughs> but now the happy endings arrived and everything's fine. Well, again, I, th- I think what really, what this movie excels at is in terms of look and production. Mm-hmm. That's true. Like, again, you took a pretty, a pretty standard films, film noir story, didn't didn't exactly twist a whole lot of things but what orson welles did out of it was make like literally like a, a an incredible meal out of like pedestrian ingredients so <laughs> mm-hmm. i give it credit i give it credit to that i, oh, I give yeah, it credit I think, for that uh, it's that's sadly you know one of the things about being a film snob is that you have to admit that film noir is not a very uh elastic genre mm. so you kind of have to pick and choose the best ones as the exemplars of the um of the genre again like yeah lack of words but <laughs> i think i think this is probably one of the better film wars we've you know watched for the podcast and probably one of the better ones i've seen overall so go, go check it <laughs> out <laughs> definitely worth revisiting i think uh the 50s were <laughs> they were churning out a lot of crap at the time but oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the better ones <laughs> told you i you up here for a reason Always like to say on this uh, podcast, one of the better ones. <laughs> yeah, I have to say Charlton Heston, one of the good Mexicans. <laughs> no uh, implications to that comment yeah, not, whatsoever. not not reading replies. Yeah, <laughs> just gonna tweet that out. Not looking at replies. You know, he's so eloquent. I think that's what I like about him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's got a good noble job, like cop <laughs> for boys in blue. <laughs> I don't kneel for this flag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shoe-polished lives matter. Oh, <laughs> that was awful, terrible, anyway, terrible. You're a bad yeah. person, bad I'm person, awful, Greg Mantle. Yes. Anyway, that was all a lead-up, a preamble to yes. what we're really anticipating. Exactly. Forty years in the making, the unfinished masterwork, and our special signature spotlight segment. Spotlight, 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 spotlight. spotlight.
1: It's time, Robbie. It's time.
0: Yes. We spotlight something that we've seen recently. You know, generally uh, something that's come out. Mm-hmm. In the, but if in it's the... a recent release, we have to dedicate our single spotlight segment to it. So this Absolutely. week we are re- we are seeing for the first time the other side of the wind. Yes, this is a movie that's languished in production hell for since 1976. Mm-hmm. Um, Orson Welles shot it off and on for the, uh, half a decade um, <laughs> when he could have money and kind of gather his uh, cast and crew together. <laughs> Um, and it doesn't show. It doesn't show. <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. Uh, this movie was unfinished, and it feels unfinished. Yeah, it's 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 pretty uh, patchwork, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> so it's telling a, a meta narrative. Mm. Basically, it's about a, a long admired director um, mm. who is approaching his seventy his seventieth birthday, and it's making what appears to be his final film. Um, much like, much like another, you know, admired director in the seventies. I wonder what <laughs> it was on its mind when he started doing yeah. this film. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in this case, it's John Huston playing a uh, JJ, or excuse me, Jake Hannaford. Mm-hmm. and he has a protege and played by Peter Dodger. George John Abdon... George Bobbitt, Peter Bogdanovich. Thank you, John. You nailed it. A plus Because I'm a Bogdano head, okay? <laughs> He's my favorite. Paper Moon, please. More Paper Moon. <laughs> oh, yes, we are Bogdano stans, um, who himself was a stan for these kind of classic uh, 40s and 50s movies um, that he was kind of reviving in this era of New Hollywood. That's the other era that we should speak to. Um, this, so this is a faux documentary... Mm-hmm. About a filmmaker making this kind of like a new Hollywood, you know, anti-establishment film, yeah, that kind of broke all the rules. But it shot as a fake documentary, so um, they were trying a lot of new film techniques that were kind of pioneered by the French New Wave. It's a very documentary style, grainy film, handheld, yeah, um, cut cut to ribbons, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was probably a necessity at this point. Scene missing, scene missing, yeah. and like that's that's why it's so hard to t- kind of talk about this movie because it's the kind of movie where it's like, well, this was dumb and this didn't work, and then the criticism is obviously, well, that's the point or that was very intentional. <laughs> so the movie not only feels slapdash because he could only kind of work on it when he had the money for it, and it took him like six years, and obviously it's unfinished. But again, that's kind of the point. It's meant to be a slapdash. Not completely objective narrative film from one point of view that's true. I will say it's also a style he adopted in the film f for Fake mm-hmm. um, which I don't know if you've seen, but that film like kind of plays with coherence because it is a movie about trickery and deception, so mm-hmm. I think he is trying to make make that narrative a bit less coherent as well, even that narrative I mean it is a <laughs> documentary slash film essay so it's not. It's not. A, it's not telling the same story as the other side of the wind, but this is definitely a style that Orson Welles adopted during this time. Mm-hmm. And what I will like. What I do. What I will say. What I do like about the movie is the actual movie within it, <laughs> <laughs> which is called the other side of the wind. Because it opens. What kind of intrigued me was, um, it, we cross cut between the anticipation for Jake Hannaford's seventieth birthday, mm-hmm. and also a a movie producer watching dailies of this movie that they're going to premiere called yeah. The Other Side of the Wind. Mm-hmm. Hence the, hence the name. <laughs> hmm and it is like an art piece and one, you know, kind of low-level crew member, I believe, is like trying to talk him through it, um, exactly. what exactly is going on. And that you can see is like, okay it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek parody of uh, it's a, kind of new Hollywood movies trying to be spiritual and, you know, anti-establishment and not playing by the rules. <laughs> but it's also like, kind of drivel. Like, that's yeah. <laughs> the other point he's trying to make is like, his final film is actually essentially garbage. <laughs> I don't think garbage, I think maybe in a in a reflection of the of the unfinished film we're watching it's kind of yeah it's it's, it's maybe <laughs> yeah it's maybe intentionally slapdash. um mm-hmm. yeah i mean did you was there anything that you liked about it about it i mean i i did 'cause enjoy, what i did enjoy the first half, okay because i did the cross cutting thing worked mm-hmm. really well at the beginning. Because again, yes. you did have that kind of like voice of reason, the studio producer, which I mean, ironically, given Orson Welles' relationship with studio heads, <laughs> you know, it's kind of <laughs> yeah. funny that they make him kind of the voice of reason. It's like, oh, he's just making it up as he goes along. Womp 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 yeah. <laughs> You know, like, so I did appreciate that. But the problem is it just kind of goes on for too long and it doesn't really escalate. I mean, it does kind of eventually, but it really sags in the middle and yeah, uh, and I, but I hate myself like criticizing a movie. It's like, why is this slapdash production not have a good structure? You know. <laughs> well, I think what I was also going to frame it as like, what what are you holding on to? Like, what are you looking at and like kind of gripped by in the movie? And for me, it was the movie within the movie. Um, a because it was pornographic. Like, let's <laughs> let's be real. It is. He also kind of like shot a porno. <laughs> no, yeah, like you and you can tell obviously coming from Orson Wells, is a guy who grew up. You know, or started working in the time of the Hayes Code. So when the yeah. '70s rolls around, why wouldn't he be like, "Ooh, titties! Give me more titties! <laughs> yeah. <please."> Give me <laughs> titties <laughs> swear. For days. Yeah, There's there's language in the movie, which kind of was adopted in, the, in 1970, I believe. Like, MASH was the first major release to have first major release to have language in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously, he's gonna play with every. He's gonna bend every rule that he could. <laughs> But again, but is least... that also part of the joke? Is the fact that oh, look how pornographic and stupid movies are these days? Like, I can just have a sex scene for no reason. <laughs> well, not no reason. I mean, it is telling a story. And I I did appreciate. So is it, first, is first it, of all, is it... yes, it's a it's a guy chasing a girl. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the that's the story of the other side of the wind, the meta, meta movie we're watching. Mm-hmm. And I did also appreciate that it was silent because the rest of the movie is just people talking over one another, <laughs> See, and that's... it was such a relief when oh. we finally we're watching a a soundtrackless movie going mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Well, I guess that not, not completely there is music, but the the characters aren't talking. And I also did like the performance of Bob Random, um, <laughs> the for, the poor put upon star uh, John Dale, <laughs> uh, <laughs> who apparently everybody hates. <laughs> He's not at the party, but everyone talks crap about him. <laughs> I mean, saying he's also... a stiff and he sucks and he should be fired from the movie. And... Well, there's also this, you know, kind of reoccurring joke where they're doing this party and they've mm. kind of put up these mannequins that look like him from the movie as kind yeah. of like a joke, and they'll like, I don't know, I think it's kind of making a comment that actors are just another prop, <laughs> you know? Maybe that's kind of the it. There's so much going on, but none yeah. of it really fits. <laughs> um No, well, okay, let's get to the middle where I think. Where it really loses me, because I didn't know what was going on. There's implications that Jake Hannaford has run out of money and the movie's not going to happen. But I didn't feel like the stakes. This is, these are all like well-to-do Hollywood people. Like They're going to be fine if this crappy, expensive porno <laughs> movie that this guy shot doesn't get released. <laughs> There's also like a bunch of these weird little mini subplots. Like They talk about this act like they talk about the actor and he went to this boarding school and there was a gay teacher like where did what was the point of all that <laughs> i i i don't know yeah i'm trying to f- figure out that scene i just remember them dropping the f word in there and mm-hmm. it made me feel really uncomfortable in addition to the mischievous n- midgets or sorry i shouldn't use that word um, <laughs> the mischievous uh, little people mm-hmm. um again for some reason, just playing off the stereotype that they're like children who just cause <laughs> just cause havoc wherever they go. Exactly. I mean, no, I think you're absolutely right, though. The whole cross-cutting thing of seeing st- like the actual footage of the movie crossed with this kind of like very Robert Altman-esque naturalistic dialogue really works well. But neither one of these two things is tight enough or coherently put together enough to make this kind of a successful film. No, and it doesn't get there until... Like, we actually have kind of plot points, because we're also following a reporter mm-hmm. who wants to kind of confront this director, Jake Hannaford. Well, that's the other weird thing about the movie, is, like, there's 90 million people all trying to mm-hmm. talk to Jake Hannaford, like, interview yeah. him, and there's cameras everywhere always following him. Like, that's mm-hmm. the other weird aspect of it, is, you know, all eyes are on Jake Hannaford, and there's actually one little uh, funny piece of dialogue I liked, is uh, there's one reporter in particular who's, like, trying to, like, tell him his life story, and he kind of mm-hmm. turns up the radio, because, hey, stop it, I'm trying to tell your life story here. <laughs> like I thought that was a clever line. Yeah, and I did like. I don't know how I feel about Peter Bogdanovich's character because mm-hmm. he's essentially kind of playing himself, like a huge admirer of these like classic Hollywood directors. But he's also like a successful director in his own right. Mm-hmm. And they mentioned like kind of tangentially that tangentially that did I say that right? Tangentially. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, I'm, le- I- I'm leaving all that in because I, no I, I, I can I know, edit you around. You going, you tangentially. tangentially. it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> anyway, they mention in passing that he's directed three critically acclaimed movies of his own, one one of which was like the highest grossing movie that year. Mm-hmm. So he should he should be fielding tons of calls. Instead, he's like palling around with this this old fossil. <laughs> And his and it's weird porno porno movies they showing everybody. <laughs> I don't know. I I, I dug the uh, kind of like Hollywood insider stuff a little bit more than you do. You did like I don't know. It, yeah, like, I do It, yeah. it kind of rang a little true to me, maybe because literally everyone is playing themselves. You got Ernest yeah, Borgnine there, like you know, <laughs> <laughs> like just you got Cameron like... Cameron Mitchell doing a weird Southern accent. So <laughs> exactly. So everyone's just like I kind of appreciated the naturalism. Of all of it, even though it does seem a little ridiculous, I was like, "Oh, oh, Jake, Jake Hanniford, what's going on with Jake Hannaford? Yeah. <laughs> hey, you guys ever noticed we don't talk about Jake Hannaford enough? <laughs> but maybe that's the point. Maybe it's like this is all in Jake Hannaford's head, and he thinks everyone's on him. Like everyone's thinking about him all the time because he's so self-obsessed. That's the uh, every like. That's that, m- maybe that's my issue: is that yeah. every character is a bit narcissistic. If there's like kind of an emotional through line, mm-hmm. it's that um, Peter Bogdanovich's character. Sorry, I can't remember his name. Um, Brooks. It's like Owens Owens Lake or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or Otto Lake, excuse me. Um, maybe he feels like a little inadequate or like he sees Hannaford as like a father figure mm-hmm. and he somehow like let him down. Like there's a scene in the car that, you know, kind of gripped me a little bit. A, it's because only two people were talking and they weren't <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, finally the movie's settling down and we have a scene from kind of beginning to end, <laughs> which is nice. <laughs> I, I don't know. I. I guess, following the other plot point, because there's this whole long scene where again, you mentioned like the the boarding school teacher they talk about running out of money that I couldn't follow, mm-hmm. and that's when you mentioned the mannequins, and that's when Hanford takes a gun and literally shoots them, like, <laughs> yeah, off. exactly, <laughs> off the side of the house, and then hands a gun to his actress um who's played by uh, I want to get her name right, oha Kador mm-hmm. um who's playing a Native American woman, even though she was born in Yugoslavia. <laughs> mm-hmm. And apparently she and Orson Welles were an item at the time. So I'm sure she felt great. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure she felt great. Just about bearing, bearing all for uh, the, the lecherous lens of her, uh, her (laughs) beloved. I mean, the other kind of thing about Orson Welles that I kind of admire about him. And especially at this time period, you know, like you said, he, he was doing F for fake at the time. And also Mm -hmm. he obviously had a much more kind of prankster mentality, I think at this time. So again, it's really hard for me to talk about this movie because it's like how much of it is just Orson Welles fucking with us, you know? Because it's <laughs> Bullge- like, oh, again, ex- John. That's why you don't let him. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Call him out of his bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> so look at it with a critical eye. <laughs> Best disinfected his sunlight, and we're going to expose him. We're going to have a panel on this
1: movie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Orson all Welles the problems we're taking you down. Yes. Yeah. You fat piece yeah. of shit. <laughs> Oh, he probably was a terrible person. <laughs> oh, absolutely. He's a director. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, we have to confront the uh, the uh, stereotyping of little people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that they call this, this poor actress Pocahontas. <laughs> awful. <laughs> terrible. Yeah. Hey, why doesn't she have a line or a name in the movie? Come on. Because she's just there to look pretty, Greg. Know, with her clearly true. horrible, horrible tan. Whatever they did with her <laughs> skin it just was not right whatsoever. No. No. <laughs> I don't know if that's the kind of camera they used or what, because there's no way her skin naturally looks like that. No, yeah, it's not. A, it's not a very good makeup job. <laughs> but again, it was the '70s. Everyone was nice. high off acid. Like everything was loose. Nothing mattered. That's the, that's the other shocking thing is I thought this because this whole leading up to the 70th birthday party and knowing Hollywood at the time, I thought it would be like a bacchanal. <laughs> mm, that's true. Well, I mean, everyone's but, like so old. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. And instead, the the. the biggest conflicts in the story is that the, the power goes out twice and oh no we can't see we can't see the weird porno movie that grandpa well, shot it, it gives an excuse on why you know you can break up the whole like because now we're not cutting exactly, yeah. anymore with a guy watching daily so we need an excuse to cut back and forth from the other side of the wind the film within a film ooh, yeah <laughs> to uh you know these guys just like rambling and yeah that was the other thing too is like it just got on my nerves, the way they're speaking. You know, it's like, uh, uh, what's your view on romance? You know, it's all that kind of banal, oh, yeah, that, boring yeah. shit. Like, you know, it's like the same thing that happened in, like, Breathless. You know, it's like, <laughs> what, what, where do you think, you know, life is in a modern society these days? You're an artist. You have all these answers, right? Yeah. But again, maybe that's the point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, I, I really want to see, like, a reporter for Extra or BuzzFeed one of these <laughs> press junkets. Like... <laughs> Do you think God is dead? <laughs> yeah. Where is this the critical is the, this eye is... in today's society? And <laughs> yeah. also, who are you wearing? <laughs> yeah, this is the Wired auto-complete interview. <laughs> is chivalry dead? <laughs> are we living in the Anthropocene? <laughs> no. Where did you grow up? And what are your thoughts on Nietzsche? Yeah, <laughs> I will say when we're talking while we're talking about strong openings and closings. Mm-hmm. It does have a particular money line, which I felt like okay, it finally comes comes together. Uh, they they have this premiere. The, the premiere keeps moving. Uh, mm-hmm. A from we see some of it at dailies at the at the studio, then to Hanford's house, and then to a drive-in theater in North Hollywood, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then once it's finally over, I believe I believe uh, the actor who we've been talking about, John Dale, like finally comes. <laughs> they they thought he was dead or something like that. Yeah he he finally arrives at the party and i feel like okay finally the the story is coming full circle it's like we it's like we planned it out ahead of time and somehow finished <laughs> <laughs> finished our story john huston's character drives off we see that he, he gets in a car crash later in the in the Well Porsche yeah we was. we that's how we lead with it is that he gets yeah. in a car crash and it's like what what yeah. led up to this <laughs> yeah here's the <laughs> day <kinda> before, before. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of, it's almost exactly like Citizen Kane in that, like, mm. you know, let's unravel the mystery that was this man's life. Let's start at the end and go back to the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> but then Hannaford has this great line in, in voiceover basically saying, like, you know, this is how we do this. Is how we do it. We shoot our young people until they're dead. Nah. Just, which, you know, as a point, you know, again, double meeting between a camera and a, let's say, a little firearm and, mm. you know, kind of wear, wearing out these people. Because yeah. that's the other thing. I, I did, like, bob random's performance that's literally his name bob random (laughs) i'm sure it's a stage name i'm sure it was like bob smith but that was taken in sag or something yeah (laughs) but why would you give the name random maybe it's because his performance is so flat he's got this neutral mask and then Uh, why do you say you like it (laughs) well i like i like it for that neutral mask (laughs) oh okay I guess it kind of fits the tone of the other side of the wind, like the actual film that they're making. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then also the fact that at one point, as we're watching these dailies, and um, Jack Hannaford, or whatever, Jake Hannaford, excuse me, is yelling direction from off camera. Oh, yeah, that's good. And it's getting worse and worse, and he storms off. And I felt like, okay, finally, yeah, there's a, there's some emotion here. Like we're we're triggering something here, whether it be anger, laughter, romance, not just not just talking over each other and being acerbic with one another. Nah, I like the acerbicness. Yeah, I like seeing no, old like Hollywood it. crones like be mean to each other. <laughs> what what's one line I remember? I think I believe it's in the trailer. Like he could take an awful idea and make it absolutely atrocious. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I do also like the notion that he's the, he's the Hemingway of film directors. Oh so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, I, well, it, which is like, impossible, <laughs> which is literally it, impossible. It's, but it's then ambiguity, uh, ambiguity there. It, like, did he intentionally crash the car at the end? So he yeah. would never have to finish his movie? Suicidal exactly. perhaps. Yeah. Ooh, so many questions. Yeah. Fine. S- I love questions. <laughs> <laughs> Too many questions. Netflix. Sorry, you, just, you, you failed. I admire, I admire your ambition to finish this uh, long gestating project, but it, it just didn't work. No. Uh, I mean, on the one hand, I do like. I don't want to say like, oh, it should have never seen the light of day, but yeah, mm. I, I, I don't want to go as far as to say <laughs> not worth your time. <laughs> I mean, maybe worth your time. It's on Netflix. You might as well watch it. Yeah. I, Ad- admire I... it like a art installation piece. Like you're and you're maybe. going through you're going through LACMA or something. And you know you 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 just see this playing on the screen, and you sit and you watch for like ten minutes, but then you move on. That's where this film belongs. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like maybe cut it down to like let's say eighty minutes. Let's be more efficient about it. Um, Greg, you it don't tell th- Orson Welles to cut down his film. <laughs> no, I'm I disavow to, you, I'm... good sir. <laughs> Whatever. Run back to Europe and beg beg for pennies. You <laughs> <The> old drunk. <laughs> Try and try a vegetable once in a while. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> Did he appear at all in this film? Like, nope. yeah, even as a small cameo. No, oh, nope, okay. not even as a cameo. Okay, yeah, live with the shame. But yeah, I. I you know what, I think you're right. Yeah, stick it on the background while you're doing something else, and maybe something will connect. Like again, That's why it's perfect for Netflix there. when you think about it. Yeah, <laughs> or, that, or that scene in the car. Oh. <laughs> Getting red-faced just thinking about it. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, not safe for children. No, <laughs> no, sure, no, no, no. Yeah, Make sure your, your kids children. Be, yeah, <laughs> put, put your kids to bed. <laughs> or maybe this will help things get started in the bed. Ooh, saucy. Uh, by the way... uh. I know we we admonish the filmmakers for portraying this uh this poor Yugoslavian actress the way she was. Mm-hmm. Technically she was a writer on the movie. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I so. mean, was it like real writer of the movie or is it like the bullshit thing where it's like she put in her two cents and it got included so therefore she gets a writing credit. I, <laughs> listen, Orson Welles is a charitable man. <laughs> like how they Taylor were together Swift for a long time technically wrote all her songs cuz she changed one word. Like, oh, she I, gets a writer credit now. <laughs> I'll give it to her maybe maybe she's the one that came up with the whole other side of the wind nah. maybe that was her project <laughs> nah. enough we've talked about it enough we have that's it. let's let's close the grave on mr Orson Welles. <laughs> I was thinking He's, we do this. Was... I think we should do it sensually, Greg, Like the movie Whoa. itself, just like get some nice music going and just ooh, <laughs> hey. No, sad- sadly, looks there's like a, you're there's... dying for more aspiring snobs. So sadly, you... there's a there's a dirge of, of bass, of hot bass <laughs> lines in in the other side of the wind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of jazz music. Jazz. Yeah. Yeah. The artiest of it's all drum. music. drums. yeah, Drums. <laughs> There was a scene like straight out of Birdman. I think it's straight out of the Birdman soundtrack. I believe it's when he's shooting the uh, dummies. But anyway, John, back to to our sensual social media. (laughs) Yes. So it looks like you can't get enough. Why don't you come slink on over to our Twitter page and follow us there. And then, if you're feeling extra naughty, come over to our Facebook page. <laughs> Give us a like. I can't do this. I'm sorry. No, I, I'm, no I'm letting you, I'm letting you hang your own, tie your own noose here. I'm also, like, lying, a I'm also lying down like sideways, like very like Paint me like one of your French girls. People do no such thing. <laughs> Thank goodness we don't have a t- Instagram page because it'd be too hot for all followers uh, yes <laughs> nsfw <laughs> we'd be reported immediately <laughs> but it, anyway after after your sensual erotic experience <laughs> if you would be kind enough to go to your podcast service of choice mm-hmm. whether it be apple podcasts or stitcher or player <laughs> fm or acast or podbeam we are on every podcast service <laughs> Should we, we just have a robot enunciate this a five-star review? Should we just comment? get Siri to read this? <laughs> yes, that's a great idea. Get Siri. Get Siri to read that. <laughs> and then, if you want, you can reach out to us directly by emailing aspiringsnobs at gmail dot com with your that's questions a, and comments. That's a terrible Siri impression. That was a great better. Siri impression. I nah, thought it was I didn't great. Like it. I didn't like it. All right. Let's hear yours. <laughs> Um well first she talks too fast. <laughs> <laughs> Greg is not a fast talker, okay? No, Greg is very I, much I sure all with his my words. words are perfectly pronounced. <laughs> and sometimes it takes it takes a little while for words in my brain to reach my mouth. I will admit. <laughs> well Greg, how long is it going to take the words to express what we're watching next week? Um, Well, it could take a while, because I don't remember off the top of my head, but I believe it's the 1987 classic RoboCop. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Enough of this artsy bullshit. Yes. (laughs) We're getting back on our 80s stuff. (laughs) Yeah. I want to see someone get shot in the dick. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So while uh, The Other Side of the Wind may earn an NC-17, I mean, RoboCop's pretty much PG at this point, right? I mean... (laughs) Uh, That's a good question. Yeah. Because it's... it's only saved by the fact that they couldn't realistically render, you know, blood and guts and squibs were kind of over the top ridiculous so you don't really buy it. Also, that kind of that guy who gets, you know, dumped in toxic sludge, like come on, that that would just ruin any kind of movie rating right there. <laughs> no, I mean, come on, that's for general audiences. <laughs> <laughs> that's for, rated E for everyone. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, we'll be reviewing another 80s movie. Um, and we'll point out how bad it is. Like why all the you, other ones. Why do you have to say it like that? You're so resigned. Like oh, another nice. 80s movie. When you're the, you wanted to do this, and listen, listen to you right now. Like oh, the other side of the wind. Gah! <laughs> I wasn't guh. I was okay. I was a little disappointed after uh, 40 years of anticipation. <laughs> so. I will admit that, but the problem with these 80s movies is that they're so overrated by the fanboys on the internet. <laughs> I guess that's true, yeah. Well, that's why we're doing an essential service. We're bringing them down a little bit. That's what we need that's to do. True. That's we gotta, true. We've got to bring a level-headed criticism to them. That's why we yeah. gotta visit them. And who knows? Maybe we'll be surprised mm. by RoboCop. Maybe it'll, it'll be an exemplar of this little uh, subgenre. Hopefully, a ridiculous we'll be, '80s action movies. <laughs> hopefully, we'll be able to find something new to say after 10 million hours of YouTube videos examining it. So we'll see. We'll see. I hope so. But <laughs> until then, thank you everybody for listening. And until next time, keep inspiring. Oh, we already we already did drunk champagne. Yeah. <laughs> Orson Welles. I'll have to find a new one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually fun little trivia here. John Houston played Jake Hannaford in this movie. He also played. Uh, what's his name, Mr... Uh, shoot, what's, what's the guy... The bad guy in, uh, in uh, the Chinatown. Oh, uh, I don't remember, but I know who you're talking about. Yes. And you know, calling him Mr. Kitts. Again, one of the cinema's greatest villains. Mm. And there's a reference that his daughter in the movie... <laughs> has a a problem with her iris like there's a little flaw Mm -hmm. and in fact there is a woman in the other side of the wind that has that issue with her iris (laughs) (laughs) okay I'm glad we're leaving all this in I'm glad we didn't stop recording for this this (laughs) is important (laughs) yeah well I was hoping it would would transition to something else I don't know maybe the Chinatown soundtrack I don't know Go out, go out with um, sunshine and lollipops. <laughs> okay, by Leslie Gore. There we go. <laughs> 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 yeah. Keep us firing. Sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. Everything that's wonderful is what I feel when we're together. Brighter than a lucky penny.
1: When you're near, the ring goes disappears, dear, and I feel so fine. Just to know that you are mine. My life is sunshine. Anything that's wonderful is sure to come your way When you're in love to stay